the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gauspo. Uh, I, I, before we dive into the latest Northwestern football loss, I, uh, I want to mention, um, we've met a bunch of listeners over the past several weeks, and it's been really, really awesome, uh, to, to meet you all, you know, to run into you at, at the concessions or at the tailgate. And, uh, for everyone who's, who's like stopped us to say hi, uh, really does mean a lot. Thank you so much and, um, really appreciate it, especially, you know, with things going the way they've been going, uh, the past, this year um you know, yeah to- we heard from we heard from a couple people that like that this pod is their therapy and ha- happy to help <laughs> us too <laughs> yeah no for sure um but but for all of you who, who are just kind of tuning in for the first time do us a favor tell a friend tell someone who you tailgate with tell someone who you sit next to at the games uh, tell them about us yeah share the word uh because you know if, if you're enjoying what you hear and you know other Northwestern fans who would enjoy what they, what you hear. Pass the word along. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com. Um, email us, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Uh, we're all over social media. Um, and we, you know, love interacting with you guys. Um, you know, as much as we love talking to everyone who comes up to us at the tailgate, which is phenomenal, we can't keep the conversation going, uh, online. And that's something that we've really, really enjoyed. And I know, Scuzz, for you, being down in Cincinnati, to be able to have that kind of, that level of uh, communication with you know, fellow Northwestern fans, I know that's got to make you feel good. Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, it's you, you said it a second ago, but it's what gets us all through seasons like this, right? We have this shared fandom, this shared history, this shared love of Northwestern, the school, the the athletics, uh, et cetera. And um, yeah, this is the stuff that, you know, makes makes it fun to keep to keep up with us and keep going, so... Yeah, I mean, it's like, this is November 12th, 2019, Disney Plus premiered today. We could all be watching The Mandalorian right now, but instead, we're helping prep Northwestern UMass. So as you can see, like, we, we have a problem. Well, we, I, I don't know, John, I watched The Mandalorian earlier today, so... As, as did I. <laughs> oh, see, see, as a good husband myself, I'm unable to do it. Without my Star Wars fanatic wife present. No, yeah, I'm not pretending like we're not all trying to uh, watch it anytime I, we can. I, I don't have that problem. Uh, my my <laughs> I don't think my wife has seen any of the any of the original uh, trilogy trilogy even. Oh good God. Yeah, uh, I know. Before we go down this rabbit hole to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Well, um, well, well oh, wait, wait, let lest you think less of me. Uh, on occasion, we do fly a house Stark flag outside of our house that she That's ordered, so. awesome. I love that so and, much. And, and literally and figuratively, winter is here for Northwestern football and basketball. So, Well, we'll, we'll talk about hoops in a little bit, um, as much as we all don't want to do that. But let, let's talk about this game. And We lose to Purdue 24-22. Um, it was... So, you look back at the game, and you're like... Yeah, we, we were watching, like, first quarter, we're up 14 nothing. Kyrick McGowan busts off a 79-yard touchdown run. We're moving the ball. We're, we're up two scores. And, you know, it, it's feeling good. And then the second quarter happens, and, like, momentum shifts completely. And in the third, and it, 
in the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, it switched back. So, and you know, there, there's the one thing that I really noticed was the sun was shining and it was really low, you know, as, as you know, close as we are to the winter solstice, the sun is that low without a cloud in the sky. The sun was really affecting anyone going south. If you're going north to south, the sun was affecting you and the wind was howling uh, south to north. So to go north, you had the, the sun at your back. So the defense was looking at the sun and you had the wind at your back. So, you know, we, we scored 14 points in the first quarter. We scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. To the Purdue kicker's credit, I mean, he hit a, a a long field goal into a howling wind, and that's why they won. Yeah, it's the, you know, for me, it's it's hard because it's almost impossible to evaluate this game in a vacuum and not evaluate it next to everything that led up to it. And I think if you were evaluating it next to everything that led up to it, there are kind of negatives and positives you can draw out of it. I think in terms from, you know, just to to get the negative perspective out of it really quickly, I think, you know, it's it's because we lost the way we did. It's really easy to lump this in with just the general just malaise and just despondency of this season and be like, oh, God, this is one more thing. This was like... You know, a brutal loss in a season that, that's that been full of losses. Um, and I think, you know, that's weird because I think in that sense, you might be more tempted to evaluate this game differently if the rest of the season had been a little bit more positive. And continuing in a positive frame of mind, I think it's the fact that this game came after so many just absolutely miserable offensive outings, at least for me personally, makes it really easy to find a lot of positives in this game because there were things that were done. I mean, it's, you know, Kyrick McGowan's numbers may have been heavily weighted by that 79-yard touchdown run, but still, it's been a long time since we had a back break 100 yards. And, you know, for Aiden Smith's credit, um, still some serious holes um, in his game right now, namely kind of bird-dogging receivers and telegraphing passes is like an issue for him right now. But what we've been talking about with he and with Hunter in the last couple of weeks is just a lack of accuracy. And he was accurate in this game. He hit a lot of receivers. He hit a lot of receivers downfield. I think most of his incomplete passes were incomplete passes that were a result of him forcing a ball into tight coverage. And a lot of times, you know, there were probably at least three passes that were probably, you know, could or should have been intercepted. Um, And that's a, that's certainly a problem issue, but he wasn't missing receivers. And because of that, our offense, our passing game was much more effective than it's been in the past couple of weeks. And offensive line did a pretty good job. And again, it's like we could have scored more points. Like Sam said, both teams were basically handcuffed for half of the quarters in the game because of the weather situation. And all things being equal, um, you know, by itself, I will say, you know, you can take a lot of positives from, from McGowan's play, the offensive line's play, and Smith's play. It was, in at least in a regard, improvements across the board. And that's why, you know, you've, to, to, you've got to go upwards when you're scoring zero or three points a game. You've got to take a step upwards. And this was a step upwards. 22 points is a step in the right direction. Well, it felt, it felt like we saw some things, like a little bit of a better game plan in the first half. And let's be clear, it's a hell of a lot easier to game plan for Purdue's defense than for pretty much any of the other defenses we've played to this point in the season. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, like 
I, we should talk about this later, but I, I kind of love McGowan at running back, and it's it's giving me visions a little bit of Venrick Mark, not necessarily in terms of running style, but just turn into you know when he when he ripped off that that seventy nine yarder. I mean, it's the first long touchdown we've had all season. Um, he clearly has the game break. I mean, he ran through and uh, past the Purdue defense. This was not a not a you know, not a case where they had everybody stacked up at the line or anything. I mean, he he beat safeties uh, on an angle, which was really really damn impressive, and and just shows you how fast he is. I don't think we've had speed like that at the running back since Venrick Mark. Um, so there, there's something to be said for for the way that they structured this game plan, the way they attacked with McGowan. Um, you saw a, a lot more passes on first down from Aiden than we've seen maybe all season. Um. There was that really nice reverse. There was the fake punt. Like they had so, some shit uh, sorted out, right? That, that that fake punt, Eric. You were watching on TV. I, John and I were, you know, wondering about this because I thought. Um, and did you see anything on TV? My thought was that David made that call on the fly. He was rolling to the side, saw that he could, saw that he had the lane, and just went for it. Did they did they make any mention of that on the on the broadcast? Uh, not, not especially. I mean, I feel like that's the sort of thing that, that, that doesn't happen if he's, if, unless he's allowed to do that. You know what I mean? Like, like punter decides to, I forget what down and distance it was, but punter decides of his own accord to run for it and, and get the first down that, that punter's not playing again, um, for Pat Fitzgerald. If he does that without, without you know, guidance. And, and I, I, I could, I could see that maybe they've, you know, they've, they've set that up in the past. I said, Hey, if you see X, if you see, you know, this wide open and everybody's back is turned to you, like you're fast enough, go for it. Right. Like that's, that's plausible. What, what was the down and distance on that? It was pretty long. It was like, um, but, but it was, seven, I think, but it was wide open. I mean, and, and he could have made the call. I mean, I'm, I'm from my eyes. Like that's what I, I thought that it looked like the upbacks were kind of sealing for him. But it, but it could have been his call. I I would I would be I would be stunned. I'd be absolutely stunned if he did that in a vacuum and it wasn't it wasn't d- designed in some way, shape, or form. Oh, I, I'm and, sure and, I'm sure it wasn't a vacuum. I'm sure it, it was a situation like, you know, if you see this, you have the you have the green light to go. You know, well, and that's the sort that's the sort of thing that coaches are supposed to identify on film leading up to a game like this, right? Like I would I would surmise that. There's some aspect of Purdue's punt team where they're either turned or you can you can shift them to focus. If if you if they're if they've got a, you know the return guy shifted to one side of the field and their and their blocking coverage is shaded to one side of the field uh, and you roll out the other direction, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's a sort of tendency that you try to identify on film and then you arm your guy with like the hey if you see this like. We'll, you know, we'll we'll be sealing things in a way that that you could rip that off, right? So that, that, that that's the sort of thing that should be planned in advance, and and who knows if it was or not. But but um, but I guess my broader point is it it felt like they came in with um, a few more wrinkles, a few more things under the covers, um, a, a bit more of a good plan, and then in a lot of ways this was this was a classic vintage Northwestern Fitzgerald McCall. Uh, lost lead at the end of the game that harkens back to the 2013s and the 20 what 2010s um, 
and you know it certainly has 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 reared its head in the last three or four years, although not as often. Where you know we get up in the first half, uh, we're we're looking pretty good. Um, we've seen some exciting stuff, and then they just go into clock burn mode, and that clock burn mode starts about the second drive of the third quarter, which is ludicrous. And um, you know every minute that they can shave off the clock is is worth whatever scoring chances they pass up, and. It's not that we weren't throwing the ball in the second half because we were at times. I'm sure like the weather, like you guys talked about, had, it was a factor with the wind, etc. But you just saw the creativity go go by the wayside. I mean, we ran the exact same reverse play to Riley Lee's in the second half that we ran in the first half, and you just you just didn't see. I mean, it was like a classic like Northwestern offense just stagnates, and then if not for that 33 yard pass uh, to Berkeley Holman on the last drive. I don't have any confidence that Northwestern scores a touchdown there. Let's like, just to be honest. Um, and then even worse, the final drive, like, Oh my God, we, we, we get narrower and tighter. The closest, closer we get to the end zone. I heard the guys on the NFL, um, the NFL ringer show, like bemoaning this talking about, uh, Cleveland unable to score eight times uh, on eight different plays from inside the two yard line against Buffalo and how they're like, they're doing all these tight sets and, and they're, they're compressing everything to try and, you know, bowl over physically the, the, the Buffalo defense. And I'm, I'm screaming in my car because it's exactly what Northwestern does when we get close to the goal line. Spread everybody out. Like, give yourself some space. You've got Kyrick McGowan. You've got, like, oh, my God, it drives me nuts. And the, the fact that we went so conservative on that drive and played for the field goal, which, of course, we missed. How many times have we seen this over the past 10 years from Fitz and McCall? It was like – it was like – you know the, the the things that have that have plagued us the last ten weeks. We so finally I, started I, to make some progress on, and then we kicked ourselves in the face. So I don't know that if we were playing for the field goal the whole way, but like certainly after that holding penalty, that you know turned it you know into second and long or what, whatever it was. But you know, taking that first, penalty first, first and twenty from the twenty four. Okay, yeah, taking that penalty first and twenty. Then at that point, you knew that we were playing for the field goal. And we and we handed the ball off up the gut to Drake Anderson three times. So I will say there was that there there certainly was the calculus too that um, I mean Charlie's got to have that field goal. I mean that's that's the bottom line. That sure, was, but 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 do something other than dive play. Yeah, oh, I mean so so I will say one thing about that because I agree. Um, and again, I. I guess part of it for me is our offense was in such a rough place coming into this game. And, and I mean, anytime you score 20 more points than you've been scoring, like that's kind of like a breakout. And the offensive line really was, they had a good game and they were really leaning on Purdue late in that game. And you're right. The penalty was, was key. And you're right. It was classic McCall. Um, and fits play calling like conservative, just going again. If Kubander hits that field goal, it's, I mean, it's, it's a really big deal. But, uh, but I mean, to your point, everything you said is, is absolutely true. And lest we forget, right? If Kubander hits that field goal, um, and again, I know this isn't one to one because it's not the exact progression of events, but we would have been up by more than a field goal. But for everyone bemoaning that field goal, let's remember that David Bell had a breakaway pass that he dropped on a bomb on the final drive where he just would have walked into the end zone um, and they would have won by a touchdown. They would have won by, you know, eight points instead of by one point. 
Um, so, but with that said, a couple things. One, you mentioned McGowan. I think this is a, a, a great place to start because it's interesting to me that, you know, you're absolutely right. He is a dynamic running back, and I think it's easy to forget because he's played receiver that he was a running back. That was his position he was recruited at, and we ultimately moved him to wide receiver. He was a very highly regarded running back recruit with a lot of offers. And I think it's really interesting because you can juxtapose him with Drake Anderson, and they're so similar and you can look at them and see the exact reason why McGowan was a highly rated recruit with more offers, because he's literally bigger, faster, and stronger than Anderson. They're the same type of back, but McGowan is taller. He has more weight and more physical strength to stay upright, and he has a higher top-end speed. In terms of the shiftiness and the moves and the instincts, they both have the same gifts. Um, they both have that amazing ability to cut on a dime and find the holes and everything. But McGowan can move the pile a little bit more and stay upright. And it, and it bears mentioning, Scuzz, right, that at the end of the game, McGowan was hurt at that point. And that's yep. the same reason yep. he's at, he's going to be out this coming week. Um, I, I wouldn't if, be surprised if we didn't see him the rest of the year. I mean, Fitz said he's out right, indefinitely. Well, and no, I mean, and knowing Northwestern, if, if you get anything, uh, if like you kind of have to multiply everything by five in terms of gravity when Northwestern puts out injury reports. Like you're absolutely right. Um, it's easy for me, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but it's easy for me to, to pair Drake Anderson up with Kyrick in a comparison like this that makes Drake look a little less than compared to Kyrick McGowan because Drake's going to run for like 150 yards this weekend and we're all going to be talking about Drake's great game. So like, don't worry about Drake. Like Drake had a great game against UNLV. I think he's going to have a great game against UMass also. Um, he's the exact right kind of back for that kind of situation. But with all that said, everything you said about McGowan is absolutely true, Scuzz. And Everything you said about a couple more wrinkles early on, but those wrinkles are going away, is absolutely true. But McGowan is the perfect place to pivot to the ultimate reason why we lost this game. Because through injuries or whatever, Kyrick is the offense right now. I mean, he's the most dynamic player. He's the best athlete. And we are trying to find ways to utilize him. But when he comes out, and there were even a couple plays in this game where, you know, I was like, Sammy, I was like, oh, Kyrick's in the slot. Here he comes. He's Here comes that jet sweep that we're all so familiar with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think what, like a, what I'm getting at is some of those plays, the reverse, right, um, a couple of other things, you look and you're like, oh, yeah, those are like neat, like gadget plays, like, you know, getting teams off balance, et cetera. We need, like, we need those. And that's true. But those are parlor tricks. Yeah, and we, what we, you, and, and what you had on the other side of the ball, and this is why the McGowan thing is so important is on the other side of the ball, you had Jeff Brom and you had Jeff Brom knowing that he had to run his entire offense through David Bell. And instead of gadget plays and trickery, he schemed an entire game's worth of scheme to effectively utilize his one impact player with a third string quarterback. Like you're talking about a situation where he knows his best guy is a wide receiver, sort of the similar, similar situation we're in. And he knows he has a third string walk on quarterback that he's got to get the ball to this guy. And for an entire game, 
he schemed Bell open and he schemed him into space. And that's where it kind of puts it in relief, right? Where it's like we're to the point where like anytime we see a reverse, we're like, ooh, yay. And on the other side, you've got a guy who's in his job because of years of offensive excellence at scheme designing and play coaching. He only had one impact player and he only needed one impact player. He just threw cover through like an overall play calling and an overall system schemed his guy into space and so, set and an offense where it, it only took a walk on quarterback to find him. So here question. Cause I, I, um, I may have missed this at the time, but so the, the Riley Lee's reverse was off of a jet jet sweep action from, uh, from McGowan. Yes. Which, I believe which so. one? The the one where he the one he dropped. Oh the, yeah, the that one. was that was a handoff to McGowan, a jet sweep to McGowan back to Lee's. Yeah, yeah. And then did we did we ever let McGowan take the jet sweep and just run it? I'm not sure. No, because uh, that's the that's the problem right there. Right, is that we do we do the one thing, but we never do the counters off of it, and that's partially why Northwestern's offense is so easy to defend because they uh, and. And that's why I think your your comment about parlor tricks is so apt, John, because it's not a system, it's not a scheme, it's not exactly exactly it's not a series of of looks that can go in seven different ways to confuse a defense. It's M- McCall is calling plays, not developing a scheme that or or a system, right? And, and that that's that's been part of the problem all along. And right, and you can and you know here's another way to look at it, right? We've been obviously severely bit by the injury bug on offense this year at running back, at wide receiver, obviously with Skoranek out. But, you know, we made comments earlier in the year that some people took issue with, but I think a lot of you were in line with where we were like, look, if we would have had a couple of these guys, it would not have made that much difference. On the flip side, you can look at Purdue and you can be like, oh, sweet Jesus. What if Rondell Moore was healthy? Like you can look at that team. And you can be like, oh, my God, look what he was able to do with just David Bell and a walk-on quarterback to give him the ball. For the love of God, what if Bell was the number two man in this offense? And you saw that with Ahmad Anderson, who they were had really effective things where basically the package was Ahmad Anderson is always going to be available as a short option in the flat. And if you're seeing a soft coverage there, you can just dump it to him for two or three yards and he'll try to steal something else. And that'll be another option for you as we're shifting Bell all over the place and running different routes and finding ways to get him open. And it's funny. I actually thought about this because I found myself doing something that I rarely do, which was question Mike Hankowitz's scheming. And it's funny because it's one of those things where I step back and I'm like, no, no, no. This is a guy who's earned the right for like me to shut up on this because he has a lot of schemes and he's trying to do a lot of things here. Um, inter- and, you know, Hankowitz. Um, my one thing that popped into my head was just that I was like, it was almost to the point where I was like, just roll JR pace over the top and put Cam Ruiz up in Bell's hand and then just press cover, just press Bell with Ruiz and have pace over the top and just double team the guy all game. And that was only just, and again, Hankowitz ultimately held him to 24 points. But again, part of that you're saying, yeah, but 24 points to an offense that is just running with like duct tape and dental floss. Yeah, it's true. And that's the genius of Brom. That's why he's Purdue's head coach, because he's that good 
with offense and if you give him a couple fast playmakers. Um, you could see McCall trying to do some of his best things. I mean, I, I actually called it a couple of times anytime late in the game because he was doing the classic Hankowitz thing that we're all, we all know, and it's worked really well a couple times where you give those deep cushions and then you sucker the quarterback, sucker the quarterback, and then you throw Gastown or a linebacker out into the flat and see if you can get him to feed the ball. A couple times late in the game, he knew he had that. And anytime Bell was to the short side of the field, a distance that Gaz could get out to, we tried it a couple times and it just didn't work. But it just, it, again, it's not about Hankowitz. It's just about Brom is so good at doing this. And Bell would be in the slot. He would be, you know, wide left. He would be wide right. He'd run different routes. And they just got him open again and again. And they found ways to get him the ball. And, you know, you juxtapose it with us. And, again, it's like, right, to your point, it's like we'll have a package. And then it's like, well, this package at best has two or three wrinkles out of it. And the offense can kind of guess what those wrinkles are. I mean, the defense can kind of guess what those wrinkles are going to be. And two, two or three is generous, John. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and, and again, it's like, and then you, you have the press conferences where Fitz will say something like, yeah, Kyrick's an amazing athlete. We're trying to integrate him into the offense, get him as many touches as you can. And it's like, I'm sure they are, but there's a difference between one set of coaches capability to get a guy quality touches and another set of coaches quality game, you know, ability to get a guy quality touches. And, Ultimately, I think that was the difference in this game. And again, the difference in a close game because our offense was better than it's been pretty much all season in this game. And, you know, it was put in a situation where the other team was scheming better from an offensive perspective. Our offensive players were playing better than they've played really all year. And as a yeah. result, you know, we ended up with a nail biter. So I I feel like we should drop some some pirate booty on a couple there, on a couple of guys here. I mean, there's finally some to give out. I feel like. yeah, right. I mean, uh, McGowan. I thought you know Lee's um, with eight catches. A uh, guy who's who's I think probably struggled a little bit with drops this year. Um, Berkeley Holman catching two, including one for thirty three, and then another one for for twenty ish. I think like that's pretty awesome. That guy's uh, also been been struggling a lot with drops this year. Um, and then, uh, you know, m- maybe maybe throw Aiden in there, right? Like, a lot better statistically than he's than he's looked uh, to date. Absolutely. And he was... you know, I'm I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a little shout out to Cam Ruiz. I mean, he had yes. he had a, a, tr- a feast or famine day. Like uh, he, uh, they were picking on him the entire yep. game, and some plays he sh- he came up he like he played really well at times. And then he had a couple pass interferences down the stretch and produced game winning drive. And, you know, he got, he, he got picked on. Um, sometimes he stepped up and other times he, he didn't quite have it. But, you know, to his credit, he played his ass off the entire game. Oh, led, led, led the team absolutely. in tackles and had two pass defenses too. Yeah, absolutely. He to me and like there's a narrative that kind of emerged after this game, sloppiness, penalties. That's a false narrative because people, when they think of that, they're thinking of the pass interference penalties. Sorry, it's the same thing as Indiana. Ruiz was hurt last week. It's not like he's better now, okay? He's playing with a hurt leg right now, and he's playing through it. Opposite him, you have Trey Williams, who's been out hurt forever. He's our most experienced cornerback. Don't kid yourself that 
a fully healthy Trey Williams wouldn't have been the one matching up with Bell. They put him away from Bell, and they threw it on Ruiz. I mean, like, this was a rough situation, and you're putting in a and you know, sometimes they gave him cushions, and Bell would go underneath, but, you know, they're trying to mix it up and produce throwing Bell all over the field, and I give Hankowitz a ton of credit on the play that Ruiz had the interception early in the game. I think they suckered O'Connell into thinking that it was uh, going to be zone coverage. We came out in a 3-3-5 and then went man, and they sent Bell across the field. And I think O'Connell just thought that it was that he was running across a zone, and Ruiz was right on him on that play and was with him the whole way. And O'Connell just fed it to him, and that was it was a great play call and a great play by Ruiz. And yes, just like the Indiana game. He got turned, and he's up against great receivers. He's a run-first guy, and again, if we had more support, if he was healthier, if you had a healthy Greg Newsom, like, these things would matter, but these guys are banged up right now, and Williams, again, this is his first game back in forever. It's basically Ruiz out there all alone, and he's still young even at this point, and he's playing hurt. So it's like, given all of that, yeah, he had a rough day in terms of, like, pass coverage and guys getting past him, but sorry. I mean, like, this is where our cornerback situation is right now. The fact that he had a pick, the fact that he was the leading tackler, the fact that he had the hardest job defensively of the day by far, uh, I absolutely give him pyre booty. Gas down, too, for the safety. Got to do it. Yep, and, yeah. then, and then and then probably uh Andrew David the punter pretty good day that uh that long run we you know we got a question from from a listener at one point along the road as to why Kubiak got sat down for David do we do we have any insight into that I haven't seen anything on it you know it just sort of happened as as far but, as I know I haven't I haven't seen anything my only guess I know there was a couple there were a couple of bad punts against Ohio State I don't know if those are Kubiak or if it was um or, or, or I don't think I'm saying his name right. Or um, I, don't know, I don't know if it's him or David, but uh, that'd be my guess. Um, I don't know. So, sorry, whoever asked us that question. We don't have a good answer for you. If anybody knows, shoot us a note. I'll throw – so another one that I want to throw on there too is the offensive line. I'll just throw the whole group on there. Um, they had a great game. Like they're um, – you know, Aiden had time to throw the ball. Again – Aiden's problem in this game was that he bird-dogged a couple receivers, but he threw accurate passes, and he had time to throw the ball. Um, and the offensive line was pass pro, and in run blocking, I mean, they were great. That Kyrick McGowan run, yeah, you can say that that, like, weighted his average, but that was a great play, and they opened a massive hole for him. And late in the game, you know, to your point where, you know, we were kind of throwing – you know, the, the play calling was kind of going out the window. I did still feel late in that second half that I was like, we're trying to lean on him right now. And we were really close to doing it. And that penalty was a killer penalty. Um, and, you know, I think that, that the offensive line definitely was enjoying the advantage and was feeling late in the game like they had an ability to push. Um, and I, you know, to all the people that are just that have rolled their eyes at the line against UMass. These guys, I mean, for all the things, our offensive line is basically healthy relative to everybody else, and they're playing. They've played pretty good football the whole year, and I mean, they're gonna. Oh, they're gonna. Oh boy, yeah, they're 
What you 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 know you disagree? Oh, I, I don't know, man. Um, for forty points. Well, forty points is a lot of points, but a performance along the lines of the UMA, of the UNLV game, I totally expect. I mean, UNL, I mean, their UMass is worse than that. I just think again, often the offensive line is strong right now. Like they will dominate that game, um, and. We're going to be able to to run the offense. I mean, it's yeah, you're right. It's a crazy high line, yeah. but you know, if you know, forty to nothing, I guess would be an interesting cover. But I will say, I you know, I expect us to comfortably get into the thirties. And I get for all the people that are like we haven't sniffed that since UNLV. Yes, but you got to understand what this UMass team is, and you know that you have to be able to look at the Purdue game, you know, and I think we've been doing that and the strengths like. We ran the ball well in this game, um, all things being equal. I mean, that Kyrick run, you can hold it out as one run, but that was a massive play in this game. And yeah, that's, so, yeah. So, so you, I mean, th- should, just pivoting full board to, to UMass, like this, this is going to be UNLV on repeat. Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean. Like, Drake Anderson's going to have a monster game in this game. Uh, I mean, he, yeah. he's the only one who's, who's there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so but, he, I mean, he better have a monster game. But it really is Swiss cheese. And and don't forget, if you look at UMass's schedule, as horrible as they've been, uh, we're one of the better offensive lines they will have faced to this point in the season. Probably top three. Mm, and mm, okay, I'll, gi- I'll, give, I'll give you top three because Louisiana Tech is legit. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you've got teams like Louisiana Tech that have good offenses. I just mean in terms of offensive line, you know, level of recruits strength etc you know a guy like jared thomas is going to be one of the strongest offensive linemen umass has seen this year and again um part of that is umass's schedule has really been a pretty weak schedule um and and again i don't want to seem like i'm heaping plaudits on an offensive line that's been part of what was literally the worst offense in the country coming into the purdue game but these guys have not been the root of the problem they have been playing pretty decent football and it's a pretty healthy unit across, you know, across the line right now. And they had a pretty good game against Purdue. And whatever you think of Purdue's defense, UMass is exponentially worse. These guys are giving up like 60 points a game. So again, that 40 line, like whatever. Um, I don't really care whether we hit that or not, but I do expect a, a very comfortable win in this game. I expect us well into the thirties. Yes. I mean, I mean, UMass has. I think technically they're averaging, averaging 53, but they gave up, you know, 60 plus to Army, Liberty, 56 to UConn. That's that's pretty rough right there. Uh, 69 to Louisiana Tech, 44 to Florida International. Uh, I mean, they've 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 been really bad. Um, however, they're also, I mean, their offense isn't horrible. They've been they've been scoring. Um, they only scored seven against Army. That was pretty rough. They got shut out against Florida International. Other than that, though, they're in the 20s solidly. I I mean. So we we beat UNLV um, thirty to fourteen, and it was certainly a hell of a lot closer than that in the first half. I I don't expect anything much different in this game. I, I think to your point, John. I think we are going to be able to move the ball in the in the traditional uh, ways that Northwestern likes to move the ball in these types of games. I think Drake run, Anderson run pass. Yep, run run pass. Yep, I think Drake's probably going to go for you know one twenty or something, and I think our defense will do well enough but we're not going to shut these guys out and i think i think a 30 to 14 score is a is a very reasonable way that that presumably we finish the game now that being said no kyrick 
JJ Jefferson is still banged up. We're not going to see Hunter. Like Gunner Vogel, there's a lot Gunner of Vogel's out for the year. Yep. Vogel's out for the year. Um, I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that are going to come into play that are going to hamper us as well. I mean, I, you know, it, yeah. it, it should be a win. Um, God, God forbid that it is not. And for anybody who's attending this game, like, um, if you, if you whew. are attending this game, hats off to you. It's going to be cold. It's two terrible yeah. teams. Good for you. Yeah. I, I salute you with old Pulteney and, um, and I say, just gird yourself for, for, I mean, at some point in this game, you are going to question your sanity and your will to live. Yeah. I mean, well, I really do think, I mean, again, yeah, you, UMass is legitimately horrible. And yeah, the, the UNLV game, I mean, we went, kind of went at that, you know, before, before that game was even played. We knew what UNLV was capable of doing and they were able to do that on a couple plays in the first half. UMass does not have that kind of potency though. Truth. And, and, and they're, I mean, that's just a garbage football team. And again, we're like, the offense is, and I know this is all relative, but the offense is trending in the right direction. And mainly when I say that, I mean, Aiden Smith hit receivers in the Purdue game after not hitting receivers in the Indiana game. So the offensive line is going to give him all day to throw, and they're going to give him lots of second and fives or longer um, because of the holes and Drake's ability to get cheap yards. So Aiden's going to be able to execute the offense. He's going to be able to have time to throw and throw the ball down the field. Like, I mean, again, it's all relative. This is going to be, I expect this to be a comfortable win. It doesn't really mean much in the grand scheme of things. Like we're on track right now to go over the big 10 and finish the season two and 10. And I mean, I think a lot of us are almost to a place right now where it's like, I was really bummed for the players that they couldn't get the Purdue win. But I think we're all kind of firmly in like, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, blow it up territory. And, you know, that just may have required a shock to the system. And thanks to, you know, Sam brought it up, if not last week, the week before, thanks to Northwestern's academic ranking, five and seven always puts Northwestern in the play for a bowl game. And, you know, now that is all officially out the window. And, I mean, we're going to beat UMass, but then we're going to be playing what's, you know, quite possibly still going to be a top 10 team in Minnesota when they come in and then an Illinois team that, you know, I threw up a little bit in my mouth received one first place vote in the AP top 25 poll this week. Seriously? Um, first did, place? Did really? No, no. I mean, not a first place poll. One vote. Not okay. First place poll. Okay. One, good one, Lord. One vote. <laughs> but I mean, others receiving votes still just have to look at the top 25 and see the name Illinois on there. I mean, it's that kind of year, folks. The it's, it's, a bad time, but again, we firmly crossed over. Like, there's no saving grace here. There's no pulling things out. I mean, you hope that guys like Drake and, you know, Aiden are able to use the, the comfort of the UMass defense to, to execute and get some things in. And if, if nothing else, just have an enjoyable day in terms of putting up some yards and, and being able to get into the end zone a bunch of times. Um, and then we go right back into the meat grinder with this Minnesota team coming in the week after. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Like I said, you know, for any of you who are going to this game, God love you. Um, the, I think it like say it's going to be cold. It's going to be sparsely attended and it's, it's a game that doesn't mean much about much, but, um, it ought to at least be win number two. 
real quick, I, I do want to run through kind of the rest of the Big Ten uh, from last week um, and then talk about this weekend's games. Um, you know, without belaboring the point, Ohio State beat the crap out of Maryland. Good for them. Um, Illinois came back from 28 to three, uh, in, to beat Michigan State. Don't know what I think. The hell. I think, I think Lewerke got injured in that game too. He got, con- got a concussion. Okay. Um, and, and no Joe Bocci. I mean, this is a different Michigan State team than, than yeah. we've seen in the last however many years defensively. For sure. Uh, Wisconsin uh, beat Iowa 24-22. And then the the game of the day, um, Minnesota beats Penn State 31-26. I I think we're all reevaluating, you know, finally, I think we're all starting to reevaluate Minnesota. It took them to get to 9-0 before we, you know, started to take them seriously. But I I think we we can all agree that, you know, this is a team that we should be taking seriously now. I have been, um, Chewing, chewing some really distasteful crow since Saturday morning. Um, cause I think I probably talked more shit about Minnesota than any of us. And I am, I am still not convinced that they're better than Wisconsin. Um, I am not convinced that, that they are a top 10 team. Um, but the, the you know this was their playoff, first big test. Playoff committee put them in eight tonight. Yeah, I yeah, I mean this this was their first test and they really proved something, right? Like I I I thought one of two things were going to happen in this game. Really, I thought both things were going to happen in this game. I thought Penn State was going to stop Minnesota's run and force Tanner Morgan to throw um from behind and and not out of play action. That did not happen. Uh, I also thought that Penn State's um speed players were just going to be way too much of a match for Minnesota's defense. And that didn't happen either. Interestingly, you know, Tanner Morgan hit both of his big, you know, downfield shot 50, 50 balls, um, hit them, hit them. And then his receivers made plays to turn them into touchdowns. Penn state tried that twice as well. And both plays were, were picked off. And to me, that's the difference in this game. Well, it's more than the difference in this game, given how close it was. You know, but Minnesota is certainly a lot better than I gave them credit for coming into the season. And they're probably going to win the West. They got to lose two games and Wisconsin's got to win out for them to not win the West, which we all thought was a laughable, not as laughable as Nebraska, but still a laughable um, thought coming into the year. I mean, there's put that on the list of laughable thoughts in the I mean, Illinois is going to bowl. Illinois is very likely, I mean, going to bowl with a winning record which is just insane. And then on the other side too, I mean, although, you know, I would say you saw this coming a little bit more, but Indiana's about to run the gauntlet of games that they have a shot of winning. You're talking, they're ranked. They have Penn state. They have Michigan. Like this team could beat Michigan for sure. Um, And, you know, I think, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out, but God, I mean, Indiana's got a shot to, you know, play that things break the right way for them. They could be the second best team in the East, which it seems just like mind boggling, but yeah, it's just a a lot of weird stuff. The one thing I think that, that I, you know, it makes me a little, not sad, but it's just one more thing, you know, in this lousy season is I'll say this for, you know, for PJ Fleck, man, you give that guy an inch in terms of screen time and ability to sell the program and, 
he is making hay up there with this nine and zero record, and it's just this feeling in a you know a year where you know we just thought we were going to be at a certain place and we're not. And then to watch even a team like Illinois and Lovey putting a winning season together and watch, you know, Minnesota really doing something special in a season where we thought that, you know, that was going to be us. It's just a bummer. Uh, real quick, we'll run through this weekend's schedule. Um, you mentioned Indiana at Penn State. Penn State, a 14.5-point favorite. Um Whew. That seems a little rich. Seems oh a little rich. Holy moly. Yeah, that's it. I guarantee you that's paste, that's posted on the Indiana locker room wall. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin at Nebraska. Wisconsin, a 14 and a half road favorite. Feels Boy, great. That's yep. it. I, 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 yeah, I, uh, let's put it, let's put it this way. A Wisconsin team that will beat Minnesota. Is going to be a hell of a lot more points up on Nebraska than a fourteen and a half point gap. There, that a, a team, a Wisconsin team that will beat Minnesota is going to wax Nebraska. I don't care that it's on the road. So Jonathan Taylor went for he went off against Iowa. What's he going to do to Nebraska? Yeah, sir, like Jonathan Taylor is going to run wild in this game, absolutely wild. Yep. Uh, you got Michigan State at Michigan. Uh, Michigan a thirteen and a half point favorite. Brian Lewerke is in uh, concussion protocol. Um, they have no defense, and I think I. <sighs> I mean, line. I don't. I have no. I have no opinion on the line and who's going to cover or not. But Michigan is a hundred percent going to win this game, and it's probably not going to be close. We. This is a. Yeah, they smoked us. They beat Indiana pretty convincingly, and then fell off a cliff. Michigan State did not beat Indiana convincingly. Yeah, or I guess they pulled it out. Well, here's my thing. Not beating them convincingly, a win of any kind over Indiana is looking pretty good right now. They They gave up 31 points, and that was with Joe Bocci. Right. Yeah, true. But still. Uh, you know, the line for us right now is 40 and a half. The over-under, 56 and a half. I just, no. God, I mean, I I would love it, but man. So in a game that is does not have a line at this point, <laughs> Ohio State at Rutgers. Oh my lord! Just you all, know, all the points. Yeah, all the just points. Stop, stop. They're already uh, dead. Just, just never stop saying conference game, conference <laughs> game. While you're watching this one, these two teams share a conference. And then uh, Minnesota at Iowa. Iowa two and a half point home favorite. I'm going to resist the urge, resist the urge to suggest that Minnesota is going to lose this game coming off of that emotional win and then going to a really tough place to play like Iowa because this is, this is a, a bitter, fierce rivalry between Minnesota and Iowa. Um, but man, it'll be really hard for me to not pull for Iowa. Just, just. Just to get a little bit, of, just to claw a little bit of that that pride back on um, on yeah, I I didn't think Minnesota had the goods, uh, but we'll see. I don't know. It this is, is one of those games I, I won't know who to root for until this game starts, and then I'll I'll find myself leaning in a particular direction. Uh, looking at the national uh, national slate, um, Georgia Auburn probably the most interesting one out there. Georgia now at number four in the uh, in the playoff rankings. Auburn sitting at 12. 
I guess, yeah, Alabama needs Auburn to win this one, right? That's the idea, that I think Alabama's path back in depends on Auburn being as good as they possibly can be, which is is interesting to me. Like, I, you know, I I find that whole thing kind of weird only because, like, you know, I, I like analytics and, and I agree that there are, you know, you need to use different metrics to try to um, – to try to make sure you give all the teams a fair shake and everything. I just come back to like, sorry, I still believe Alabama would kick the crap out of almost every team in the country, including several of the teams that are ranked ahead of them in the CFP right now. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I still feel like that they are one of the top four teams in the country. So if, uh, if, uh, I guess I'd be rooting for Auburn just to kind of keep Alabama on the right course here. How good was that LSU Bama game last week? That was so much fun. It was. Yeah, that's L- pretty awesome. Yeah, L- I mean LSU and Ohio State are both. I mean, I just I'm. I think we're all so hoping that we get that for a national championship game because those two teams have just been so flipping good this year. Uh, Scuzz, do you want to say anything about uh, Oklahoma at Baylor with game day in the house? <laughs> The floor is yours, sir. <sighs> Sorry, if, if if that was baiting you a little bit, uh, we, you don't have to pick it up. No, I'll uh, I'll I'll just say this. Um, a friend of ours pointed out that the players that play for Baylor, the coaches that coach for Baylor, probably a number of folks in their um, athletic department were not around or involved or had anything to do with the uh, the cover-up of sexual assault charges and rape charges and all those other sorts of things that happened several years ago. Um, what is What has not changed about the Baylor community is the Baylor fans, who wore black armbands and flew a black flag in the stadium to protest the firing of Art Bryles for his involvement. His obvious and unrefuted involvement. Um, he refuted it, but like, let's be honest, it was, it was very, very clear, uh, his wrongdoing, um, in actively working to cover up sexual assault and rape charges against his players. Some of his players have been, um, found not guilty in a court of law. Uh, after the fact here that, that, that does not change the fact that he tried to cover this shit up people. That's fucking evil. Oh, sorry. I dropped an F bomb. Uh, Sammy, maybe you can bleep that out. Maybe. Um, so like the Baylor fans, I, I forevermore want, wish the worst possible experience of fandom on them. Um, I, I want their teams to be horrible. I want good coaches to, you know, leave them in the middle of the night, Matt rule. Like you cannot get out there fast enough. Um, I don't want them to get stuff like, like game day. I just, I, I that's, that's unconscionable to me. It's unconscionable. Um, well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, like they're going to get the game day experience you want them to get when they play Oklahoma. Well, yeah, ho- hopefully they get throttled. Um, I'll say this. I, I don't recall. I mean, there's a lot of criticism you can lob at Penn State fans in the aftermath of the Sandusky thing, but I don't think anybody wore black armbands for Joe Paterno. So, um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. Shall we talk a little men's basketball? I, I don't. Do we, I, I do don't. I don't to? want to. I really don't want to. But 
Um, when you lose to Merrimack by 10, a, a Merrimack team making its first ever game in D1. Uh, they just uh, jumped up from D2. Um, a, a, a team that we outsized tremendously. We out at, you know, we, we should have, you know, run these guys into the floor and we lost by 10. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was reading the, at the start of the season, or I think it was maybe just after the Quincy game, the inside and you, you know, all the writers, all, you know, I guess all the undergrad writers did a big round table and no one had the courage to call zero conference wins. And I'm not saying, you know, it could be that they all legitimately believe that we are going to win games in conference, but I don't think anyone was below four. And uh, my my intention is not to throw shade here, but, I mean, we've all been here for what's going on in the program right now. I mean, we have multiple scholarships we were unable to fill. Um, and, you know, the Pat Spencer thing is, I mean, he played and he scored points uh, against Merrimack, but... This is, I mean, it's still even right now has this feel of like, a, you know, a curiosity and, he you looked, know. He looked pretty decent. I mean, 10 points, five right. rebounds. That, that's nothing to shake a stick at. It isn't. We have to remember that Merrimack had lost to Maine by 20 the game before us. I mean, like, it's rough to say, but I think it's going to become really clear. I mean, we have Providence coming up. Um, and then Radford, a really good mid-major team. Um, and it's, it's just going to be a really rough year. This team is still finding ways to consistently score the ball. And, you know, as became apparent in the Merrimack game, defense was one thing this team could kind of hang its hat on last year. And they had real defensive problems against Merrimack, but the whole, other part of this whole thing, and I know we're going to get to this a lot more when we pivot to basketball and everything, is that the rest of the Big Ten has gotten much better since Northwestern made the tournament. And it is the wrong time to have the bottom fall out on this whole guard situation, etc. And, you know, Northwestern's, you know, Collins has some great recruits lined up. Um, and, you know, you still have Robbie Barron, who's still really young, and Boo Booey. But this is a team that's, you know, years away at this point. And it's just, it's looking like that kind of year. And I think the Merrimack game forced that reality on us quicker than I think anyone wanted it to. Two of 16 from behind the arc, 12.5%, 37% shooting, 20 of 53, 79% from the foul line. You got to be doing better than 80% from the foul line. But, I mean, if you're only shooting 12% of your threes, if you're only hitting those, you're not going to win. In this, in the way that basketball has gone into, you know, you need to be able to hit your threes. And to go 2 of 16, you're not going to win. Period. Well, I think the other thing that's frustrating is this, this team just looked listless. And, you know, devoid of energy. Um, this is supposed to be the season opener, and I don't know what kind of the, what what the crowd was, but five thousand like, plus. And I mean, you you can just you can see it in the shooting percentages that we allowed: thirty-one percent from three, forty-five percent field goals overall for Merrimack. Um, gave up seventy-one points. Like 
defense is all about commitment and energy and intensity, and we didn't have it. And for a team that we outsized to, you know, to have been able to do what they did against us to, to match us in rebounding. I mean, that's just, that's just brutal. Um, and so I don't want to overreact, but there are a lot of people after this game tweeting about does Northwestern need to fire two coaches, meaning McCall and Collins, you know, you can certainly tee up all the, all the other stuff that's happened with Collins, the lack of execution last couple of years, the lack of the ability to develop players, all that the mass transfers in the last season, the Johnny Vassar thing. I don't I don't know that I'm ready to go there yet, especially because it feels like he continues to bring in a lot of great talent. There's there's some ridiculous talent that has Northwestern ties in the 2021 class that still as of yet uncommitted. But, Maybe um, the, the number one recruit in college basketball. Yeah, but potentially. I mean, this is this is a real quick poll to start talking about this after game one. But I mean, at the same time, like this was a catastrophic loss and a season that we already knew was going to be rough. And it just like. Whoa! Like, how, like, how much further can we sink? Yeah, it's it is. I mean, this is going to be a really rough year, and I think the question is right. I don't think anyone's going to be talking about Collins, you know, getting the you know getting pulled after this year. But it will definitely be a situation where you'll have a couple more recruits coming in, and I think the season after this, there's certainly you know he's going to have to show improvement because I think. What this year is going to be is not going to be the kind of thing that anything's going to anyone's going to be able to stomach in in back to back years. But I know it seems like putting the cart way ahead of the horse. But I mean the this Merrimack game again, it's it's like it just feels like the season started many months ago, and that we've all been following this and we've all been seeing how this has all been laying out, and you know, and now here we are. But again, it's like. Things get tough really quickly. I mean, yeah, we have Norfolk State in a couple games, but you're talking Radford, Providence, BC, and then Purdue, you know, right away. Like, and then, and then the conference grind is not long after that. So, um, yeah, not, a, not the start that anyone was looking for. Um, and certainly not the start we were looking for given what's happened during football season. Uh, on, on the flip side, a start that, uh, you know, we were looking for and, and happened. The women beat Loyola, Maryland. 67 to 46, Lindsey Pulliam, uh, 25 points, four rebounds, uh, starting off in a great, great way, four assists for her. Um, Abby Wolf, Abby Scheid picking up as well, uh, 14 and 10 for each of them, uh, respectively. Uh, th- this team is deep. Um, you know, they, they, you know, don't, they lose the center from last year, but, uh, you know, the guard play, is going to be amazing with Lindsay Pulliam, Veronica Burton, and Jordan Hamilton. Uh, the three of them are going to, you know, tear it up in the backcourt. And uh, Abby Wolf and Scheid are going to, you know, have to take care of business down low because, um, you know, with Palace's big shoes to fill, uh, that that's going to be, I, I think, the biggest question mark for the ladies this year. Deep team, you know, a lot of a lot of people got run uh, against. Loyola, but uh, just game one. There's plenty more to go. I think I honestly I think that this team is probably a little bit pissed that they didn't get any preseason kind of top twenty five love. You know, it's um, crazy. They, I mean, they didn't. Really, they weren't even really sniffing the top twenty five. And this is a team that you know had moments of real strength in conference last year, and then made the big run um, all the way to the finals of the women's NIT. And they've got you know coming right up. 
Thursday, they've got Marquette on the road, followed by Duke on the road. So two really big games that are going to be big tests for them early on, which is is great to see because I think these this is to Sam's point. I mean, it's so funny to juxtapose all the flux in the men's team, and oh, we hope that you know this guy can get to this place and this development, and and the women's team is just loaded with ballers who are great right now, um, and. We are all really, I think, going to be trying to live through this women's team this year. So here's hoping that they keep it going. I are arguably top five backcourt in the country. Yeah, it's, abs- it's, it's they're absolutely they're so good. They're really, especially, really good. It's not just the starters. They got depth too with Sidney Wood and Jordan Hamilton coming back. I mean, it's like and if you look at the way Burton got, how much better she got in the NIT. Yes. Yes. Um, there, it's just, it's a stacked team. They're, they're really good. And you're absolutely right. And, you know, we'll see what, what they can put up against Marquette and Duke. And, and finally, uh, let us not forget, uh, field hockey going to the NCAA tournament. Um, round one against Boston College, uh, on Friday. So, uh, congrats to the ladies for, for making the NCAA tournament. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, good for them. It's just a shame that they, you know, they're not able to like host BC because somehow we could like use this horrific weather to our advantage or something like that. Put them out on the lake, Phil. You know, tell, get, give BC the wrong game time, get them there an hour early, make them stand out in it for a little while. Uh, it's <laughs> funny. It's not I like joke. the weather in Boston is, is amazing or anything. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know what it's like right now. I just know it can't be much worse than it is here right now. Of course, we all joke. I'm joking about this, like as of a Friday, as if like Northwestern football is not trying to entice fans into to a football game the day after that. But but with all that said, this is all means nothing. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so they'll be they'll at least have some better weather. But yeah, let's see if they can get a great start. I'm so glad that they got in. You know, I think after they lost to Iowa in the Big Ten tourney, they were kind of white knuckling it, but they but they pulled it off and they got in. They deserved it. Uh, so let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Um, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the foreign. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.